We're looking forward to that. You can be opening your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, verse 5. The ladies tried to fix that in between those that are running the, uh, those slides for us, and uh, we couldn't quite figure out how to do it. Uh, I just, that's my typo, and it just got put down the way I put it, uh, but uh, it was my mistake. So it's Matthew 21 and verse 5, and uh, so you can make a note of that and turn there. Um, Today and next week are the two most difficult Sundays I have in the year. And I don't know if it's pressure I put on myself uh, or just the fact that they are very important because Christianity comes down to the crux of the matter in these two Sundays, this week coming up. Uh, On this anniversary Sunday, Jesus proclaims himself to be the king, the king that was promised, the king of the tribe of Judah, of the descendants of David. And uh, he did that by the, what we call the triumphal entry. And so, or Palm Sunday is what we call today because they threw palm branches down in his path. And next week it culminates uh, in his death, burial, and resurrection. And Romans 1 tells us that's how he proved to be the son of God that he came back from the dead. Uh, because if he had not done that, if he had not come back from the dead, there's only two other options for us. He was crazy or he was a liar. Uh, that's the other two options. A lot of people say, well, Jesus is a good man. No, he's not if he's not God. Because good men don't lie, and that's what he claimed to be. So you, he's either Lord, which he claimed to be, or he's a liar. He knew better, but he said it anyway. Or he's just playing out nuts, because that's what he claimed, that he was God when he wasn't. So uh, we happen to believe the first, that he is the Lord. That he was, uh, what he said was true, and the evidence of that is he rose from the dead. And uh, we'll look at maybe that next week. Um, but this has been a difficult week, a difficult sermon for me to get to. I, I could have stayed in Genesis because it goes into the story of Joseph and Joseph is so much like Jesus. And in the very first chapter about Joseph in the Bible, in Genesis, uh, it is, it, there's a lot just in that one chapter. And, and so I, I started there and I just, it just didn't feel right. Uh, I hate to use that word, but um, how the Lord makes me see things. It just wasn't there. So I redid kind of the same thing, and it still wasn't there. And, and so I stole a sermon, is, is what I want to let you know. Um, you can laugh or not. It is funny, but it is true also. Um, this sermon, the ideas of this sermon, this isn't verbatim. I didn't steal it verbatim. Uh, but the idea of this sermon comes from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He's been dead a long time, and he probably doesn't care. So um, if, I, if I steal it, but I want to be honest and let you know that, that I, I don't ever want you to think I'm smarter than I am. And, and uh, the, some of the things that he pointed out here are super great. And I, I wanted to share that with you. So I call this today, Hail the King. Because we are in a kingdom. If you're a believer, you're in a kingdom, and a kingdom has a king. And so we want to see who Jesus is and what Jesus has for us uh, as our king and what we owe him as our king. I, I, I tell you, I, I was telling you about struggling and uh, it just even all last night, just tossing and turning. And, and so I don't know if that's spiritual warfare again or just in my own mind being, being anxious about it. So um, 
as, as we look at this, I want you to be in prayer. And I, if you would, stand up with me. We're going to read the first 17 verses because that encapsulates the whole story. And then um, the things I talk about, you will see in all of that. But we're going to focus on verse 5 to, to jump off there. But let me read it for you. This is the English Standard Version Bible, um, in case you're wondering and uh, you have a different version. Now, when they drew near to G Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the villages in front of, or the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will set, uh, send them at once. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, uh, verse 5, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put uh, on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd gathered their cloak. Uh, spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overruled, uh, overturned, I'm sorry, the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And he said to them, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You've prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this text. Lord, um, you know how desperately I need you. I need you all the time. But in this moment, Lord, I'm supposed to be your spokesman of your word to your people for their need in this your time. And so, Lord, I pray that that would be true and that uh, you would anoint my, my stutterings and stammerings, my speech, that I would say the things you want me to say, that you would withhold from me the things I should not say, but that, Lord, we would hear clearly from you as a church, as believers, as those who follow you, that we would know you and know you in the, not only the power of your resurrection, but in the fellowship of your suffering. For this is what you've called us to, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Y'all can be seated. I, I want you to take this home with you uh, right here. It's, uh, it's coming up. It says, uh, your heart defines in which kingdom you live. Your heart defines in which kingdom you live. Now, I use the word heart kind of loosely there, but let me help explain that. Your heart desire defines in which kingdom you live. The Bible lets us know that you can know what's important to a man by what is coming out of his heart, that where he places his heart, where he places his effort, where he places his, his, uh, all of his strength and money and time. And so we know what a person has as their goal in life by what they pursue, what they go after, what their heart's desire might be. 
And so our heart lets us know what kingdom we're in. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you there are only two possibilities for kingdoms. Especially using that term kingdom. It's the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Satan. That's it. Those are the only two kingdoms that we, that we define in that way. There are worldly kingdoms. I understand that. We don't call all of them kingdoms. But, but you're either serving God or you're not. You're either in or you're out. You're either on or you're off. There's no gray area here. And, and, and I'll tell you the struggles I was having, especially when I got to this, uh, what God was putting into my heart, uh, and, and, and not just for this week, but just recently, is like, we've really messed this up. Uh, I, I like what Francis Chan said. If you went into a closet by yourself and took a Bible and read it, you wouldn't come out and do what you've been doing. Uh, and he was talking about in church. I mean, it, it, it's, it, we, we stray, we get away. And, and, and the religious people in Jesus' day are no different. This is just the human condition. We want to make a God after our own image. We want to have a system after our own thinking. And Jesus is our king. He should dictate to us who we are, what we do, and how we do it. If you're a subject of a king, the only thing you can do is stand before the king and say, what do you need? What do you want? What, what is your desire for me? And I will do whatever you say. That is, that is the idea of a king and those over which he rules. The, 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 the subjects get no vote. And that's just contrary to our way of thinking as Americans. And, and, and yet this is who Jesus claims to be. As his ride into Jerusalem, he was claiming to be the king. This, the, him riding on a donkey and all of these things are symbolic. We, we preached this last year about him showing himself to be king. And everything that happened that day fulfilled those prophecies to show that. But, but I want you to notice what kind of king he came to be. What kind of king he claimed to be on that day. First of all, notice his heralds. A king would not go into a place without someone announcing his coming. It was two of his disciples who went and stole a donkey. Okay, now that's not generally how a king's going to do that, right? He says, you go over there, go into that town. You're gonna, when you get there, you're going to see a donkey and her little colt. Untie them and bring them to me. And somebody's probably going to say, I, I, you know, it, it's written different ways in the Gospels, but I think Jesus knew this guy's going to go, what are you doing? It'd be like you leaving church, going out there, and somebody opening your car and getting in it. You go, what are you doing, man? I know a lot of cars look the same today and they're the same color. Sometimes you try to get in the wrong one, but I hope that's an accident. But, uh, but that happens. I did that the other day. I was like, why can't I get, oh, this hit my car. Um, it, it just kind of happens. But that'd be weird, right? Well, they went and untied the donkey. Sure enough, guy comes out. What are you doing? The Lord has need of them. Oh, good. Take them. That's just, that's just different. Those heralds were just two common folk. We're going to see this in a little bit. This this is not a kingdom of uppity people. <laughs> These are just regular people. They're like me and you. Secondly, his courtiers, it would be the old word that Charles Spurgeon would have used. Uh, then those are the people who attend the king at court. They live in the court. The Psalms talks about the courts of the king. About, man, wouldn't you? There was a, there was a, a, a Christian back in the 70s and he wrote a whole album called The Courts of the King and talked just worshiping God. It was probably the first contemporary worship album ever put out. You can't find it. It was independently done and you can't get it anymore. But man, it was a great just thought 
to be able to dwell in the courts of the king. David said, one thing I desired, and this is what I'll seek after, to dwell in the courts of the king forever. Well, who are these that dwell in his court and do his bidding? Thieves, fishermen, tax collectors. Wow, what an austere group that attend the king. <laughs> They're people that are messed up and broken and needy. And he's coming in on a beast of power. Look there in verse 5. I want, you to, I want you to see something here. I'll do the second first. The second is, he's riding on a, a, a colt. And the king is coming humble, mounted on a donkey. Now, when we see that word humble, we might think humble in the sense of, oh, shucks, I'm just, not, you know. The kind of shuffling along, I'm not that important. That's not what he's saying there. He has been humbled, and uh, uh, it, it is showing a humbleness of peace. That he's not coming to wage war. He's coming to give peace to those who, who are going to be his. A conquering king comes in on a horse. He is coming in on a horse. Just not today. Don't forget this. Everything in the Bible that he has already done teaches us to trust in everything he said he's going to do. And there's coming a day when the sky will split open and he's going to be j jumping over. In my mind, he's coming over, like over the hill. You know, I, I love those kind of scenes in, in, in battle scenes and movies and all where it's like the people are about to just all be slaughtered and they're about to give up hope and then whoosh, over the ridge, here comes, the, you know, the people to save them. That's, here he comes on a white horse with king of kings and lord of lords and the army of heaven following him. It's going to be awesome. But this day comes in on a, why? Because the Bible says he took off his robes of deity and he humbled himself and became a servant even, even to be to the point of death on a cross. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. He served us by dying on the cross. He, he, was, he, he showed us what he was doing at the, uh, at the Last Supper when he, when he washed the disciples' feet. It says he took off his robes. He took off, the Bible lets us know, he took off his deity. He put on a towel, the sign of a servant. And the Bible says he came to be a servant. He washed their feet, which was the lowest job of any servant. And then after supper, he put back on his garment and sat down. And the Bible says that after his resurrection, he went back into heaven. He picked up his deity and is seated at the right hand of God. And he will stay there until all his enemies are made his footstool. Psalms 2 tells the nations of the world will become his footstool. And when Jesus finished washing their feet, he looked and said, Do you understand what I just did to you? You do the same thing. You see, Jesus is not calling us to be mighty, he's calling us to be humble servants. And that's how you can tell a member of the kingdom. They're servants. Because they're following the example of their king, who became the ultimate servant. But I want you to notice something else in verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, well, a daughter is a female, right? Okay. And Son is a male, but this says daughter. Zion is the city of God. So who would be a daughter of the city of God? What, what in relationship to Jesus is always female? The church, the bride, exactly. 
Here, church, your king is coming to you humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. We are to see our king and see him humble that we might also be humble. He rides into the capital city, Jerusalem. Uh, our friends are coming home. I, I had a chance to visit Jerusalem and, and, uh, and the Mount of Olives is east of Jerusalem. And when you're on it, you can see the eastern gate. And, uh, and Janice and I climbed up to the top of that mountain, which we didn't mean to do. So don't do that if you ever get to go. Uh, get directions before you try it because that was very exhausting. And we came back down to the, halfway down. Of course, the mountain there is not as tall as the ones around here, but it's still a mountain. Um, and, and we came down to the garden where they think it's the garden where he prayed. And it's about halfway up the mountain. And, and as we're standing there, we're looking at that eastern gate. And the Bible lets us know that it got shut one day and that it would never be opened. And the man who attempted to open it, I think his son would die when he first started at the end. Of another, and everything that the Bible said what happened did. And nobody's tried to open it since. And it's been shut for millennium. But it says when he does come riding back on that horse... He's going to sit down on the top of that mountain and he's going to walk through that gate. And I'm telling you, standing there on that mountain and thinking about that just will rock your world. Here, O daughter of Zion, here comes your king. Right now he's humble, but he's coming back in a strong way and he's going to touch down and that's going to be his capital city. But notice, as the king rides into the capital, he doesn't go to a palace. He doesn't go to some beautiful, ornate palace. He goes to the temple. To the people, supposed to be where the people of God are. And in the text, what did he find? He found people cheating people monetarily. Because foreigners would come, and by foreigner, I mean they're not citizens in Jerusalem. And so they come from other countries to worship, and they would bring their money from their town. And that, but the temple only accepted temple-type money. And so you had to exchange your money there at the temple, and they always cheated the people that were, were doing it. And Jesus is angry because people are being hurt by the people that are supposed to be the people of God. And he doesn't take that kindly. And he starts clearing the temple not by going, okay, guys, you got to stop that. Now get out. He starts throwing tables. You know, people always say, uh, you need to act more Christ-like. Remember, if you're going to act Christ-like, making a whip and running money changers out of a temple is an option. <laughs> but what is the temple of Christ? We should be cleansed. We should be saying, Lord, this part, I'm just not in tune with you. Please throw this table over, clean this up. Because we are the temple of Christ. This body that he gave us, we are his people. We are his palace. The church is his palace. And this is the king he claimed to be. Now, he could have become a different kind of king. He, he, the king he could have been was the people on the crown him that day. Hosanna, blesses he comes in the name of the Lord. They knew that he, that there's the sign. He's riding this, this donkey into Jerusalem. But they missed what the saddle looked like. It was the cloaks of his dirty disciples. He didn't come in on the red carpet. A couple weeks ago, they had Academy Awards. I don't watch them anyway. 
anymore at least I have in the past and now we know why we don't because it's a bunch of people pretending to be important pretending that what they're doing is important and they're as hurt and broken as you and I are but they walked the red carpet Jesus didn't ride on a red carpet he rode on the clothes of dirty workmen who took off their cloaks that had been sold by their labor and threw them in his path and he rode across that not to trot it down, but to say, I identify with you. And Jesus identifies with us. He could have, people wanting to make the, if he'd have been a worldly king, he'd have made the church rich. And we are to be rich in spiritual power, but not rich in money. Uh, there's a story I read once. Uh, I'll leave it at that. I can't prove it. I read it. suppose it's true. But St. Bernard of Clairvaux visited the Vatican. And the Vatican is where the Pope lives, the, of the Catholic Church. And the belief in the Catholic Church is the Pope is in direct descended line, not physically, but spiritually from Peter. You need to understand that when me tell the story. So the Pope is the representative of Peter, who's the representative of Christ, is the idea. So one day, this St. Bernard of Clairvaux, um, it wasn't a saint then because you got to die to become one, so Bernard is visiting the Vatican, and the Pope shows him the riches of the Vatican. You remember the story in Acts where John and Peter go into the temple, and a beggar says, alms for the poor. He's begging for alms. And Peter said, we don't have any silver and gold, but what we got we'll give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the guy jumps up and he comes leaping and dancing and praising God into the temple. Freaked everybody out in the temple. It'd freak everybody out in a Baptist church if that happened. You know, some things that you see is wrong. That's just somebody praising God because, you know, I think we are the sad ones when we don't want to come in dancing and praising God and leaping for joy at what he has done. And so the Pope looks at Bernard and says, no longer can Peter say, silver and gold have I none. And Bernard said, and no longer can Peter say, rise, take up your bed and walk. You see, we're more interested and profit than in spiritual power. We're more interested in our bottom line than in people. We're more interested in what we can accumulate and then what, instead of what we can give away in service to others. He could have been that kind of king that day. The people would have welcomed it, and he would have made the church powerful politically. He could have thrown Rome over. He did throw over Rome, just... Took them about 300 years. And how that happened by Christians telling other people about Christ. And as Christians overtook all of that, Rome fell under its corruption and the testimony of the church. And it brought about an end to political power. Yet today, people want to achieve spiritual ends by political means. It'll only happen when we make more Christians, not when we make more people of any particular political party. I'm not saying you shouldn't have that. I'm not saying you shouldn't vote right. I shouldn't, I'm not saying you shouldn't be involved. I'm saying you trade power. See, the Bible says we're no longer citizens of any country in this world. We are citizens of his kingdom. If you want to see what a kingdom person looks like, read the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in chapter 5, he lists what a Citizen of the kingdom looks like blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the humble, blessed are the meek. 
And he tells us what we're going to inherit because we look like Christ in those things. And so he didn't do that. Rather, this is the king that Jesus is for us today. Notice, it takes a disciple to attend in his court. The difference between a church member and a disciple, a disciple, I, I was defining this in the new members class in the last hour. I, I'm going I'm to do what you're not supposed to do, and that's use the word in the definition. A disciple is a disciplined follower of Christ. A Christian disciple is a disciplined follower of Christ. You can be the disciple of anything. It means you're a disciplined follower of that idea, that person, that thing, and you begin to look like them. A disciple is someone who looks like Jesus. You see, you can be a church member and not be a disciple. I'm not sure you can be saved and not be a disciple. For Jesus said, if any man will come after me, he's got to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And that takes someone who wants to be disciplined to look like Jesus, to look like Christ, and we have to die to ourselves. And it's kind of funny. The citizens of this kingdom, the law is written on their heart. Now, we're real big about telling you, you got to, you got to have the scripture, and, and this is how God speaks. And I'm not backing off that at all. But what I'm saying is this, that we had a heart of stone that God had to give us these external laws to determine how we live. But the Bible says he takes out that heart of stone, he puts a heart of flesh, and he inscribes his name and his laws on our heart so that our heart beats after his heartbeat, and we want the things he wants, and we do the things he wants us to do. I, I, I listened to some different podcasts. I was listening to this, uh, a religious one, a Christian one the other day. And, and there was a person, and they were just talking about how people say they, they want to hear from God. And what we say is, if you want to hear God speak, read the Bible out loud. Okay? Because this is about what he wants. And they were saying that, um, that, that that particular group was real big on hearing from God, but make sure you check it with the Scripture. But the person said, but that means I'm dependent on hearing from God. In a subjective way. No, I should be opening the scripture to see what God says. And then he can lead me as I do that. Because I've looked and there's no verse in here that says, Stuart married Janice. <laughs> My name's in there, Stuart. They spell it with a D. It's a person. It's an office. Which a, whatever my name comes from means servant of a master. But it stands in the place for, for his king. But... But I, there's no verse told me to marry Janice. But as I sought God and met her, I was like, hey, if she's willing, I, I said, yeah, <laughs> please. You know, Pastor Bob's right, man. Marry over our head. Give our kids a chance. You know, it's, it's just the way that works. I told Pastor, I told Miss Patty, I said, hey, congratulations on 40 years. I like to tell people. Janice will be married 35 years this year in December. And I like to tell people, yeah, we're married We've been married 34 years. Counselor says he thinks we're going to make it. All right? So um, it's really good. But listen, let me just say something about getting married. You say, well, I didn't marry the right person. I wasn't following the Lord. If you are married, God is in it. And that's where you stay. All right? If you, if you think you blew it, you may have. Oh, well, you're in it now. And that's where you're supposed to be, okay? And God will bless that if you follow his. And there's a lot of principles that I can't talk about marriage right now. But 
But I want you to see that his laws are written on our heart so that when we open his word, our heart leaps for joy at what we read there. And, and it, it just happened to me. I came down from upstairs. It was hotter up there. And I've been talking for an hour, which you think I like to do, but I really don't. And, and, and I was out of breath and I was just, and they opened the door to let somebody in. And I went, oh, that feels so good. I stepped outside just to get that fresh, cool air. I don't know about you, but when you hear the news and you hear all the things that are going on in our society and our world, sometimes you just feel like you can't breathe and you open the Word of God and it's like somebody opened a window of heaven. Oh, there it is. And the Spirit, like breath, comes and He ministers this Word into our life and our heart. The kingdom doesn't have written rules and regulations. He writes it on us. And riches really have no part here. I, I've already mentioned that. But the Bible says that he wants us to have good things in accordance to how close we are to him. Doesn't mean the closer to him, the more good things you have. It means he wants our souls to be rich in who Jesus is. Jesus died in poverty. Many of his followers die in poverty every day around the world. But they're rich in faith. That's why Pastor Bobby was mentioning, he got a text from Joe Fleming who's in Africa and sent him a video of, of, of the people there worshiping. And I, I had an opportunity to be in Africa once and I watched these people and as they worshiped God and they danced in a circle. And we were out under a tent with a generator. We were in the middle of nowhere as far as I was concerned. And I couldn't have got home. I couldn't have found east, west, north, south where I was. I just didn't know. But I was watching them, and I saw their footprints, and I thought, footprints of worship. It's just what made, came to mind. As they worshiped God, it was just awesome. They didn't have any money, but man, they were rich in godly power. It's a kingdom with no physical force. You don't spread the gospel with a sword. You spread the gospel with a testimony and a word and the word of God. You see, this kingdom has no worldly splendor. We like to decorate it. I mean, it's a beautiful building. I don't think you ought to build it ugly just to make it ugly. If you can make it nice, make it nice. That's great. And we have this, we, in case you've never noticed, those, those windows tell the Bible story as you go around in a, in a certain order. And so don't start looking at that now. Everybody's going to be going like this now. <laughs> But uh, another church I served, we had little thin glass windows. And, and uh, we had to expand. It, it would have been over there from the pulpit because there was a tiny door there. And we'd gotten to where a lot of people were coming in and out. And we'd put a bigger lobby on that side of the door. And so we had to cut part of the wall out and make a bigger opening. And we're going to lose one of those panel windows. And this lady in the church, oh, I can't believe we're going to lose those beautiful stained glass window. I mean, it was just patterned. It wasn't didn't have a theme like this and she said can I have that window and we said you're the first to ask sure because we're just going to throw it away so she said oh great and so we took the window out and the stained glass was plastic let us bow before our graven image and worship it or do we worship the splendor of the creator who he is who is robed and clothed in majesty and power and honor and glory, who when is seen revealed in his glory by his most 
best friend, his most loved disciple, his disciple falls as a dead man at his feet. Read Revelation 1. Because he can't stand to see his best friend fully revealed in his glory. That's who we serve. And this doesn't matter because this is going to fall down one day. This is nothing. But the kingdom, the kingdom people, this is his temple. You are his temple. And he wants to make you beautiful in his spirit. There's no taxation in this kingdom. You say, well, Pastor Bobby asked us to pray about giving. Yeah, he didn't tell you what the dues were. I wish we could, I wish we could charge dues. We, we would have, you know, bronze, silver, gold, platinum memberships. Isn't that how the world thinks? No. The Bible says, as God has prospered you to give, and it's free will, whatever you want to give. And then so Paul wrote, if you want, you want to be blessed a lot, give a lot. Well, that's contrary. I thought you had to keep a lot. Because the world's philosophy is get all you can, can all you get, sit on the lid, poison the rest. Right? Me and my wife, my son John and his wife, us four no more. That's what we're all about. The kingdom is give it all away. Just give it away. Just give it away. Just serve. I mean, Jesus gave the last measure to give. He held nothing back. He did not hold an iota, a grain of sand back from what he gave to us. He gave us all of himself. And so there's no taxation. There's just, I love Jesus so much, I want to give him everything. And by the way, this is a kingdom where everybody's comforted. On that day, people came and were healed. That would have been awesome to be there. Can you imagine? Everybody that was sick got to Jesus, got healed that day. That's pretty amazing. I, I've had a lifelong condition. I, I've been a diabetic for 55 years now, which is pretty amazing to me and amazes a lot of doctors too. I'm still as healthy as I am. But I know there's other conditions I got and other things that go on, and you got them too. I'm not complaining. I'm no worse off than anybody in here. And you think in 55 years, especially when you're a little kid and certain things you can't eat and certain things you're not supposed to do, and you don't say, God, wouldn't it be nice you just take this away? In 55 years, he hasn't. And I don't know how long it's going to be, but he will. Amen. Because I'm going to die and be made perfect. <laughs> Man, death doesn't scare me. Death is, oh, finally, thank God. Here we go. It's going to be good now. Not going to be limited like I've been limited. But it's unlimited to be able to worship him and give him glory, right? And so we worship God through our suffering now. We worship him because of our suffering later. So, what does it look like to be a subject of that kingdom? Well, first of all, you'll be moved. The Bible says the whole city was moved when he came in. Everybody, I mean, Jesus don't show up and, not, and nothing happened. When Jesus shows up, stuff's going to happen, right? If something's not happening, maybe we ought to invite Jesus to show up. Now, I, I, let, me, let me modify that just a little bit. I just said that for impact, so let me modify it. Jesus went and visited the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It wasn't a question whether Jesus was in the house because he was there. It was a question of where Mary and Martha were. So if God's not working in your life, it might be because you're busy in the kitchen instead of sitting at his feet and finding out what he wants. Because he might not want you busy in the kitchen. He might want you to be listening to what he has to tell you. Now, 
We also got to get up and do what he told us to do. So there's the balance that I was talking about. But we will be moved when Jesus shows up. But our worship will be without show. We won't come down in glorious robes and funny looking hats. Somebody gave me one of those hats. It's a miter. It's what it's called. It looks like certain religions have them. They're tall and kind of pointy. And so somebody was coming to visit, and I put it on. They came in. I said, I, said, I got a promotion. <laughs> <laughs> no, our worship is just folks showing up. I mean, I feel compelled to, to look nice up here, you know, to dress kind of nice. And, and, and so I tried to at least not be like, ooh, why is he wearing that, you know? But it shouldn't matter. I can't find in the New Testament where they got off work, went home, put on their best clothes, and then showed up at their house church to worship. I think they quit their labors and went to church and met and learned what it meant to be a believer in Christ. And it didn't matter what you looked like when you got there. Right? This is something that we have done to ourselves. It's part of our culture, so I'll keep doing it. But I'm just telling you, we shouldn't demand that. Because in this kingdom, it's no, no showmanship. It's no fanciness. It's not that you're more saved, the better you can look. A pastor friend of mine talked about in his church, he's a very godly man. And they had a college professor come and receive Christ. And this guy was so, he said he was so smart, you wouldn't understand if he said, pass the biscuits. Just one of those kind of guys. And he said, but that guy, he was troubled, he'd just gotten saved, and he needed some help. And he said, and after church one day, I saw him sitting back over there in the corner with their janitor. And their janitor was teaching him about the things of God. Because that's how it works. In the catacombs, there are tombs of slaves who knew Christ and ministered as pastors and in the church. Buried in a more noble place than princes and kings. Because the highest in the kingdom is the lowest in this world. The servant to all. You see, all their prayers are for others. I, I, we, we pray for ourselves, but we, we should be praying for ourselves that God will be glorified in our lives or in the lives of those we know. Because the Bible says we ought to esteem others better than ourselves. We ought to be other-centered all the time. It ought to always be for other people. The kingdom is about us reaching people who are not yet members of it. I forgot who said that, but uh, uh, a man about 50 years ago put that in a book. That they said that, that the church is the only institution that exists for people that are not members of it. That's why we're here. We come in here to get encouraged, to hear the word of God, to go out and do what God's called us to do. This isn't for us. This is for them. This is for us to get energized to bring more people in. Jesus said, go in the highways, hedges, compel them to come in that my house might be full. And we should pray for other people that they would know God. We serve him for love, not for money. The church is filled with the unselfish. I've said that. I'm going to say it again. You know a disciple because they're unselfish. They give the last they've got to give. But here's the best news. Notice what it said. And by the way, I just love this part. 
down there where the kids, it's the children are crying, Hosanna to the son of David. And all these religious uppity-ups are indignant. <laughs> I'll say it in a funny southern way. They are indignant. <laughs> all right? They're indignant. They are upset. How dare he let these kids worship him and call out his name? And don't you hear what they're saying? He says, can't you read? <laughs> I, I like Jesus' response. I don't think that was a nice response. I, I thought you guys read the Bible. Haven't you read it? It is out of the mouth of babes, babies. He is ordained praise. Nowhere can I find the Bible where it tells a kid to grow up. It tells adults, you got to be like a little child to come in this kingdom. This is for everybody. And folks, if you are that high-minded, you can't come in. Because it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for you to go into heaven with all that baggage. He said, you got to humble yourself like a child and just trust him and believe him and love him and know him. You see, this kingdom is ready to receive all who seek him. If you need Jesus today, you just call out to him and he will accept you. He will take you. He will save you. He will change you. He'll make you look like him. Because that's the goal of the kingdom. That we look like Jesus and corporately together as a body in the church. That we would look like Jesus. And Jesus is the one who is always ready to receive those who seek him. So I, I try to give you applications each week. And the first couple of questions... And I'll go ahead and tell you all three of them say the same thing. But I'm just saying it three different ways. Ready? First one is that. Where is the evidence you've ever bowed before the king? Where is the evidence that you are a subject of that kingdom? As we've looked at some of the things the kingdom looks like, where, where is the evidence in your life that you have bowed? Because in bowing, we, we use that term, and uh, Pastor Andy was encouraging us a couple of weeks ago to to, to try different positions of prayer, like in bowing or lifting our hands or something, that you maybe you're not comfortable with. But bowing is the most vulnerable position you can be in because you can't see. And you've exposed one of the most delicate parts of your body, the back of your neck, to be beheaded, to be killed, to be injured. Because you are submitting yourself to the one in front of you by bowing. When have you bowed to the king and said, take my life if that's what you want? But in actuality, we are saying, take my life and do with it as you please. We sing the song, but we're lying. Take my life and let it be wholly consecrated to thee. But we're lying because we don't really mean that, do we? I'm afraid sometimes that maybe we don't. By the way, y'all know, I told you before, I'm going to tell you again. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at me and letting you listen in, Okay. Where is the evidence I've ever bowed before the king? And is your life marked by pride or by servanthood? I think this is a huge thing. Oh, I don't, I don't think I could do that. Or I've done that before. I don't like it. Or that's not my job. Let somebody else do it. How about you see a need and you jump in and start helping? Only pride keeps us from helping others. And the disciple is marked by his willingness to help others. Who says, sure, I'll do that. What is it? I used to have a button. I gave it away when in, I was 13, I think, 14. Never forgot that button. Never could find it again. Top up said, Jesus is the answer. The bottom said, what was the question? 
doesn't matter. The answer is Jesus. The answer is servant. The answer is be like him. Oh, he's coming as king. We'll rule and reign with him in the millennium, but that's, that's in the future. Right now, in this world, what he said, I want you to live there like this because this is how you're going to develop into looking like me and make you fit to come into this physical kingdom of heaven eventually. And so the third one is serve Christ by serving others. I told you, it's all three say the same thing and just said three different ways. Because Jesus said, you don't give away a cup of cold water in my name. You didn't do it to me. He said at the day of judgment, there are going to be people, thought, very religious people are going to be standing there going, didn't, when did we see you hungry and didn't feed you? When, when did we ever see you naked to give you? When were you in jail? We didn't visit you. He said, when you didn't do it to the least of these, my brothers, you didn't do it for me. And so he calls us to serve everybody Lord Jesus we know we're not worthy never were never will be so we thank you that you make us worthy you are the one who puts your righteousness in us you put your spirit in us but that means there's not room in there for us and the spirit we got to be emptied of self and filled with your spirit We've got to give up our idea of what we want, our idea of our rights, and surrender totally to you. Lord, we are prideful. We want to go our own way. We want to make idols in our images. We want something that looks like us. But Lord, maybe we're afraid that we will fail. You guaranteed we'd fail. You told us that. You told us not to give up not to quit, not to stop, to keep moving toward the prize of the high calling of Christ, of God in Christ, forgetting what is behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead. So, Lord, may we develop that attitude of forgetting everything behind us and moving forward to everything in front of us that looks like Jesus. Lord, on this day when you rode triumphantly, into Jerusalem to declare yourself the king. The people then and today people don't understand what kind of king you really are. And if we're subject to that kingdom, we honor you by looking like you. So Lord, we ask for your help. I just ask everybody stand up. Nobody's looking around. I'm not looking around. I don't know where you are, what your need is, where your comfort level is. But I want to pray for all of us. And if you want to come and pray at this altar right now, just step out from where you are and do it. Just come on down here. You can stand. You can kneel. You can do whatever you want to do. But just come down, stand around here. I'm going to pray in a minute. Some of you here, let me just help you. I understand what's going on. Some of you are are believers in Christ. And you seek Christ. And I believe those who seek Him the hardest realize their need the most you're not coming down here saying oh I'm horrible you're coming down here saying only Christ has the answer and I want to know him you already know him you're already a believer that's wonderful maybe you've been religious you've been a church member but you don't really know him and you want to know him maybe you know for certain for sure you're lost you if you died you wouldn't go to heaven you've been trusting in what you did going to church or trying to be nice or right but you got to surrender to the king and say, you're my king. Do what you want with my life. You can come. You can pray here. You can pray where you are, but I would love for you to come and pray here.
And I'm going to pray in just a moment as you come right now. Don't wait. I'm, it's not going to be a special time. You come right now. As I said, I'm not even looking around. So I'm going to pray. I don't know if anybody's standing there or not or sitting or see, uh, kneeling there or not. But Lord God, we want to come into the throne room there in heaven by the blood, the name of Jesus. But we don't come in proudful, prideful. We don't come in with pride. We come in knowing our need, knowing that without you we're nothing. Without you we are lost. Without you we are hopeless and helpless. But with you, all things that are ours that you promised. We may not have them yet, but they are ours. We eventually it'll all come to us. We read in your scripture that there are a lot who never receive anything in this world, but they received it all in the next. And so maybe we have to just patiently wait. You're coming for us or coming back for all of us. And that's fine. Because we will never give up hope. We will never give up believing that you are going to come. Whether you come for all of us or individually one at a time, you're coming for us. And we know that. And our only duty is to follow you with the life we have and the breaths we have, the number of days that have been numbered for us already. We are to follow you every one of those days to the utmost of our ability. And in what we experience in those times, you're molding the image of Christ into our life. So may we welcome even our trials as friends because they build the peaceable fruit of righteousness. That when we're injured, we can react like Christ. When we, when we have joy, we can react like Christ. When we have sorrow, we can react like Christ. That in all things, we can serve others. And in serving others, we can know you. The power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And we thank you for there's coming a day when... You're going to dry our tears. You're going to release our burdens. And all will be joy and peace in your presence. We, we look forward to that day. In the meantime, we're going to struggle on. In the meantime, we're going to stay in the fight. As Paul said, he was faithful to the fight, but he was also faithful to the faith. And he was faithful to the finish. And so, Lord, we're going to be faithful in those three ways as well. We're going to be faithful to your word. We're going to be faithful to always be declaring your word and we're going to be faithful to our last breath. And as we exit and leave this place, Lord, may it be said of us that they served God in their generation. Lord, I pray for anybody who's standing here or anybody out there that wants to be, but for whatever reason couldn't stand here, that need to know you. May their heart cry out to you just now. May they repent of their own life and cry out for your help to know you and to be your disciple and Lord I pray for those of us who claim to know you that we will be your disciples and we too would cry out for your help for we can't do it in our own strength but only in the name the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we ask it Amen <laughs>